Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. If you have a Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And I mean, I say this every week that this is been in such an impactful week for me as I study through the passage. And I think that God really touched my heart uh, in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, verses 14 through 21, uh, as I was studying through this week. And, you know, as I, I've said it before, God changed my life, and he really did. He changed my life through these passages. And so I'm super excited to share with you with uh, what it is that the Lord has shared with me. So if you are there, stand up, Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to get right into it. Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 14. We begin there, and here's what it says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word. It is holy. It is righteous. It is truth. We pray this morning, God, that we wouldn't allow our preconceived ideas of who you are, how you work in our lives, by the power in which you do the, the things that you do through us. But we would allow your word this morning to define and to teach and to unveil to each of us in a new, in a fresh way, who you are what your desires are for us. Lord, we pray that you would get us out of the way this morning, that you would make your glory known to us. Lord, we pray for complete and total heart transformations this morning. Wreck our lives in a beautiful way, Lord. We open ourselves to you now, Lord, and we ask you to come. We invite you to speak directly to each one of us. Lord, rebuke, correct, train, encourage, prod. Do the holy work that you do in our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. This morning, we close out the doctrinal portion of the book of Ephesians. And it's interesting how Paul closes out this section. If you were with us, you might recall that the way that he brought this section into being was through prayer. It was Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Paul begins to pray that you and I would understand the riches of Christ, that we would know 
you know, that which we've been given already, that we would come to that understanding that we're not waiting for more, but we have everything that we need. And so Paul begins appropriately by praying that you and I will understand that. And then he lays out this glorious foundation, this doctrinal uh, sort of statement regarding what Christ has done for us. And as we come to chapter 4 through 6, Paul will begin to speak to us about the practical application of the doctrine that he has just laid. And I find it appropriate that before he even enters into that section that he prays, that he begins to pray for those in Ephesus, all the believers in Ephesus. And he is praying that they would apply what he just got done saying. Now, we know that knowledge without application is worthless. It doesn't, if it doesn't apply into your life, if you don't allow it to hit your feet and work out through your life, then it's kind of a waste adventure. And so Paul, understanding that and knowing the kind of things that he was speaking about, particularly this mystery to the church in Ephesus, that God had broken down the walls between the Jews and Gentiles, that there is no barrier between them. Gentiles don't have to become Jews in order to be saved. They're saved by grace through faith in who? Jesus Christ, right? It's the blood of Christ. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek, it doesn't matter. You have to come to God through the same way, through Jesus Christ. And that is what he had said. And now he prays that they get that and that they live it out in their lives. He had prayed for enlightenment in chapter 1, now for enablement. Hence the title of my message this morning, A Prayer of Enablement. I've divided these verses up into three points. And here's what they are. First, we find the, po- the purpose, the posture and person of Paul's prayer in verses 14 through 15. Then we find the petitions of Paul's prayer, which is subdivided into four specific petitions that Paul is making for these believers. First, the petition for strength in the inner man, verses 16. The petition for consecration, verse 17a. The petition for comprehension, verse, verses 17b through 19a. And the fourth point, the petition for fullness, verse 19b. Which brings us to the third point, which is the plentitude of the Lord, verses 20 through 21. We're going to begin by looking at the purpose, posture, and person of Paul's prayer in verse 14. It says, for this reason. Now, for this reason, Paul is connecting that phrase with what he just said in verse 1 of chapter 3. He said, for this reason, which tells us what? We have to go back even further, right? He's saying that the translation of that phrase, for this reason, literally in the New Living Translation, which sometimes I like to read to give me a kind of an overview of what, what it's saying. It says, when I think of all this, when I think of all this, well, what is he talking about? When I think of all what? What he just got done saying in chapter 2. Particularly, the point of this entire letter, chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. If you haven't memorized it yet, no worries. I'll read it for you. Here's what it says. It says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down 
in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself, listen, one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. For this reason, Paul is pointing us backward to this point. You know, the, re- the reality of what Christ has done for you and I. This isn't just a general letter. This isn't a letter just to the, the, the believers in Ephesus. This is a letter to you and I. And what Paul wants us to understand is what Jesus has done for us. You and I were once far off. There was no way for us to make our way to Jesus, to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And he made a way for us. Not only that, but then he began to break down the walls that existed, these cultural walls. It may be race in our country. It might be denominational barriers. It might be whatever it might be, religious barriers. Whatever those barriers are, Christ came to break them down, to break every wall down. In this particular culture, it was the fact that somebody was either a Jew or you were a Greek. And if you were a Jew, you sort of prided yourself on that. You thought you were pretty pretty good. You're God's chosen people. Of course, you are, you are a shoo-in for heaven because you were born a Jew. Not so. That wasn't the way it worked. And yet, that was the pride of the Jew. And, and then there was a, another class of people, which were Gentiles, which Jews considered dogs. They considered firewood for hell. So, Paul begins to, to culturally break down this wall that existed, saying, listen, the Greek is, stands flat-footed at the cross just like the Jew. Everybody is equal at the cross. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is not one level of sinner and another level of sinner. We are all equally sinners, therefore condemned, deserving the wrath of God. Paul is saying, listen, we all stand the same when we stand before the cross, and yet we are all so reconciled to God through the same means, through Jesus Christ. It's his blood. You were once far off. So were the Jews. He's not just talking to Gentiles. He's also talking to Jews here. You who were once far off have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. And what ended up happening was God was unifying a single body. He was building this thing that we call the church. And I've mentioned it before. I'll mention it again. Romans chapter 11 calls us spiritual Israel. We are grafted into the the root who is Christ into the olive branch who is Israel. We don't become Jews, and the Jews don't aren't just automatically included. He said, you know, the, in Romans chapter eleven it says some of the branches are cut off. Those are Jews because they don't come through the root which is Christ. It's the whole point of the Old Testament, folks. The entire point summarized is this that the Jew would look to Jesus Christ for salvation. He is the root. He is what we need. And so Paul is trying to get them to understand that through this process called adoption, that we are one body in Christ. With many members, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about you and I have different giftings and, you know, some, somebody's the armpit here. I'm sorry, but you are. Somebody gets that title. I don't know who it is. Maybe it's me. It could be me. I don't know. But we are many members of the same body. 
That's why it's ridiculous for us to be divided in the church. As if one denomination holds, you know, some significant truth over the other. Are there differences? Yeah, but here's the thing. The foundation of any church, if it's the gospel, if it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified, if that's the message, then they're part of the body. And it doesn't matter outside of that. It, well, it does matter. I shouldn't say it doesn't matter at all. But what I'm saying is, is that we have to unify with the body of Christ. Can we, can we have differences in our understanding of doctrines? Of course we can. And I, I'm not going to subscribe to certain things in the body of Christ because I don't think it's biblical. However, I have to be careful that I don't divide over those things. And... Uh, you know, make myself, because th- at the end of the day, what happens then is I become sort of like a Jew in this culture, and I start to divide the body of Christ. When the Lord says, listen, be careful that you don't divide. Let's unify in what we can unify in, right? Not for the sake of truth, though, folks. Not saying at all that we just abandon the cross of Christ and say, hey, well, let's just all come together. It's not we are the world. You know, we are if we're in the body of Christ, we have to be unified. That, we have to find a way, and the Holy Spirit is the way, by the way, that we would be unified. That's what Paul is teaching these guys. He's trying to help them understand that. And because of the culture, it's a difficult thing. They're saying, man, I was born and raised to basically look down on, look, if I was a Jew, I was born and raised to look down on Gentiles. In fact, if I wouldn't even walk down the same street if I saw a Gentile go the other way, I wouldn't even allow the dust of a Gentile, uh, you know, town to hit my feet. And if I did, I'd wipe them off. And so there is, there needs to be a great change in the heart of the person that is hearing this message. And that's why Paul prays. He wants them to understand. It's for this reason. This is the purpose of why he's going to pray. That they would understand what it is that God has done for us. Now, that brings us to the posture of Paul's prayer. Notice it says, I bow my knees. I bow my knees. It's a sign of humility and surrender. Now, normally, in this culture that Paul is writing to, the normal posture of prayer was to stand, to lift your hands up to heaven, and to pray to God. That was normal for people in this culture. And, and, and so Paul finds himself so overwhelmed by who God is and what he's done that he finds himself on his knees, bowing low in, in surrender and humility. Listen, that's what happens when you spend time with God. It's not like he's not prescribing this outward posture that we must bow before the Lord on our knees. Of course, we we know, you know, when, when we pray, we have, we assume the position, right? We bow, our, we, we fold our hands and we bow our, our heads. Why do we do that? Because it's in the Bible. No, it's not. It's not in the Bible. Why do we do that? Well, because it's really, it, someone prescribed that somewhere, and the point of it is that we wouldn't be distracted, right? That's the whole point of it. So this isn't specifically saying this is the best way to pray. You have to get on your knees, you know, and that kind of thing. No, that's, this isn't a prescription, This is a posture. And this is really not anything that's going on in the outward, although it manifests itself outwardly. What is happening is that 
that Paul is bowing in his heart and it manifests itself outwardly because you know that what happens inside comes outside, right? So as Paul is overwhelmed by all that Christ has done here, he's bowing. He's bowing before the Lord. He's saying, God, you are so great. You are incredible. And I promise as you spend time with the Lord, you'll find yourself in that same place. Maybe not outwardly, but inwardly you will. You'll begin to bow to the Lord in humility and surrender. You're just thinking like, Lord, I know who I am. I can't believe you love me this way. I can't believe that even though I was afar off, you brought me near, Lord. I didn't, even when I was yet a still sinner, Christ died for me. And then you begin to meditate on these things. Maybe even the tears begin to flow because you recognize your unworthiness. And yet he calls you worthy. He loves you. And he wants to bring you near. And when you think of that, there is great, there is great gratitude in the heart. And it causes one to bow down. That's why it's so important that we spend time with the Lord. It's so important that you find time every day. I don't care how long it is. It's not about the time frame. It's about the commitment. It's about saying, God, I think you are so valuable that I am going to take whatever it is and I am going to just commune with you for whatever time frame it might be so that my posture can change inwardly so that my actions can change outwardly. Lord, I need you to do that in my life. Paul understood that, and he is being humbled by the truth that he is being revealed here to him. That brings us to the person of Paul's prayer. He didn't say, Almighty God. He didn't say Jehovah. He didn't say, he said Father. He is praying to his Father. He isn't praying to an impersonal God, but an intimate Father that loves him. The creator of heaven and earth, yes, for sure, but also the Father in whom every family in earth, in heaven and in earth is named. He's praying to the Father. This, that reference there, every family in the heaven and earth is named, is speaking about the saints that are in heaven and the saints that are on earth. It's talking about those people who've been born again that have been adopted into the family of God because, as you know, we're all born under the premise that God is our creator but not our father. He is not your father until you come into that place of adoption through Jesus Christ and he, he buys you with his blood and when, at that process of adoption, which produces justification, where you are made right before the Father, he, he then adopts you into his family, and you get everything that he has because he, you are now part of his family. You're part of the family of God. He is now your Father. Contrary to popular belief, again, you have to come through adoption in order to call him Daddy. It's not a given. Even for the Jew, it wasn't a given. And in fact, for the Jew, this would be highly disrespectful to call God. This would be highly irreverent to call God by such a name, Father. And in fact, they told Jesus, you call, you call, and they, they wouldn't even say his name. You call Adonai, you call, you know, Jehovah, you call him your father, you make yourself equal with him. Are you God, Jesus? Well, actually, I am, so it all works out, doesn't it? 
But Jesus said, call him father. Well, who is Jesus talking to? His disciples. When they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to communicate with our creator. And Jesus says, the first thing you need to understand is he's your father. He's not just your creator. He is now your father. Why? Because of me. And Jesus says, you start the prayer, Father, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name, Luke 11, verse 1. Or Matthew 6, 9, our Father, Jesus saying you and I have the same Father, our Father in heaven, Matthew 6, 9. What Jesus is saying is that because of what he's done, we have an intimacy with God to where we can call him Dad. We can call him Daddy. Now, for some of you, maybe you didn't have a dad here on earth. Maybe you don't have a father. Maybe your father's gone. Maybe your father wasn't a great father. But what you need to understand is that this dad, this father is a perfect father. And he cares about everything that's going on in your life. Every little thing that is going on in your life, he cares about. There's not one single thing that he's not like, well, that's not really significant in my heart. He loves you. And that's why he wants to be in intimate relationship with you. So you, you can call upon him as your father. He's a perfect father. He's the kind of father that admonishes us, encourages us, gives us advice, listens to us, exhorts us, pushes us, blesses us, teaches us. He's a perfect father to us. And yet there are those in this, in this world that want to stay distant from the Lord. I can't call him father. I'm going to call him Jehovah. Well, go for it. That's his name. You can call him Jehovah. You can call him Yahweh. You can call him Almighty God. You can call him a lot of different titles. But Jesus says, the one thing that you can call him because of me is Father. So call him Father. I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. Well, maybe read your Bible a little bit more. You know, so you can get to know the intimate God who died for you. Who wants to be in relationship with you. Listen, the reason you don't feel comfortable is because you don't understand the God who came for you. If you will spend time getting to know him, those walls of separation that he died to break down will go away. And you'll begin to realize that not only is he your father, but he's your friend. He's your companion. He's your comforter. He's with you everywhere you go, no matter where you are. There he is. He's amazing. He's amazing. He's intimate and he loves us and he wants us to come to him, to call upon him as father. Well, that's the person that Paul is praying to. Next, we find the petitions of Paul. And again, we find four specific things that he's praying about to his heavenly father, about these believers in Ephesus, which translates to you and I as well. The first thing that he prays for is it's a petition for strength in the inner man. Look at verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through, the, through his spirit in your inner being. Now, Paul prays for strength here. How many of you guys need strength? You're like, Lord, I just need some strength today. I need some strength. And, and you know, when we pray for strength, what kind of strength are we praying for? Are we praying for physical strength? Some of you may be. We're praying for spiritual strength? Yeah, maybe. But do you know the word here being used in the Greek literally means to be strong psychologically. To be strong psychologically, which makes sense because 
Life is all about, life is a mental game, folks. It, it really is. I mean, really, at the end of the day, what you think is what you are. You know, however far you can get your brain to go is how far your body will go. So, really, that's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus also. He said it's about a mindset. And you, if you allow the mind of Christ in you, your actions will be the actions of Christ. Why? Because it's mental. We say it all the time. You know, guys that are highly athletic, what separates them? Mental game. What separates a Navy SEAL from, you know, th that's why they have a 5% succession rate. You know why? Because it's all about a mindset. It's about producing a mind that can't be beat, that won't be beat, that will not quit. And so the difference between somebody who becomes a Navy SEAL and doesn't become a Navy SEAL is their mindset. It's their ability to become strong psychologically. And those dudes are bad dudes. Paul is saying we, are, we, we need to, he's praying that you would become the Navy SEAL of the Christian army. That you would have such a strong mindset that you can't be broken down, that you will not quit, that you will press forward no matter what you're faced with. It's not about physical fitness. It's about mental fitness. He's praying for strength where? What, what specifically? In the inner man. This is an interesting word. The phrase there in the Greek literally means this, the psychological faculties He's talking about strength, which is speaking of psychological matter. And then he's talking about the inner being, which is speaking of psychological facilities, including intellectual, emotional, and spiritual aspects. He's not talking about the outward. He's not talking about the physical body. He's talking about the inward man. He's talking about, you know, this, this center of emotion and intellect and where spiritual things are hosted. Some refer to the inner man as the spirit. Your spirit. We have a spirit. We're, we're created in mind, body, and spirit, or soul, spirit, and body, right? Some people say that, you know, oh, the inner strength, as he's speaking of the spirit. Well, our spirit was once dead but was, had been made alive through Christ. And, and so some are considering uh, this to be the inner man that Paul is praying for strength of that person who's become alive. Some consider the inner man to be our soul, which is contained by our spirit. Renew the spirit, renew the soul. The soul is the center of our thoughts, emotions, and intentions. In general, we call it what? The heart, right? We, we say the heart, the inner man, the heart, all speaking about the, the same thing, the mind. This is all speaking about the exact same thing. We're talking about the central office of the body. And that is who Paul is praying for. He is telling us, hey, be careful with your inner man, your heart. That's why the Bible tells us to keep our heart with all vigilance, right? For out of it spring the issues of life. This is where everything is generated. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 15, verses 17 through 20. Do you not see that wherever goes, whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? a lot of information there but but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles the person for out of the heart come evil thoughts murder adultery sexual immorality theft 
wit, uh, false witness, slander, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus was dropping a, a, an incredible theological truth there. He was saying it's about the heart. It's, it's not about what you do outwardly. It's about what's going on inwardly, and that will manifest itself outwardly. Be careful with your heart. Paul is praying for your heart, that your inner man would be strengthened with what kind of strength? Not human strength. Paul isn't saying, hey, pull up your bootstraps, Christian. You know, let's become a little bit more godly. Let's, let's become a little bit more self, uh, self-sacrificing. Let's, let's muster up some strength and let's stand for Christ. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the kind of strength that you need in the inner man is not within you. It has to be put in you through the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you need Holy Spirit strength in the inner man. Why? Because we're weak in the inner man. The inner man is weak. And Paul says that although we are wasting away daily on the outside, that internally, day by day, we are being renewed. How? Through the Spirit of God. He is strengthening your inner man. The Holy Spirit has been given to you and I to be our strength, to be our power. The, the Greek word there, dunamis. Do you know what that word means? Well, all, you know, it, people associate it with dynamite, which is, the, you know, the word, you know, massive power. But actually, it really means to be able or capable. It literally means this power that enables you, that causes you to become capable for what? For whatever it is he's calling you to do. We need that strength. Because here's the thing is, God's going to call you to a task that your inner man is unable to complete. He's calling you to it already. We need the Holy Spirit within us. We need the power of God within us to be able to complete that which he is calling us to, to, to walk out. We need that. Paul knows apart from the Spirit of God that we will never be able to live the life that we're called to live. We need the power of the Spirit. And that's why we pray for the Spirit. We pray, Lord, send your Spirit. And the Bible reminds us that our Father in heaven is a good Father. And he gives good gifts to those who ask. Particularly, he will never, ever hold back the Holy Spirit if you ask him. He will give it to you. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. He has sealed you. But he comes with power in particular moments in your life. And he strengthens the inner man for the task that you're called to. Lord, strengthen me. Strengthen me in these areas. We pray for that a lot. This is the same prayer you and I find ourselves in that Zerubbabel found himself in when he was coming back from the Babylonian exile into Jerusalem and he sees the walls of Jerusalem in piles of rubble. And he says, man, how are we going to put all this back together? You can imagine the daunting task. You think like, Lord, this is impossible. And the Lord spoke to, to Zerubbabel through Zechariah, the prophet, and he said this in Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's the same power he's always used. It's the same power that was in Jesus. Paul is praying for the same power in you, that he might strengthen the inner man, your spirit, your soul, your heart, your mind that whatever comes out of it would be godly. That's why. That's why he needs to be strengthened. Now, 
Watch this. Paul begins to build a staircase. Essentially, he's saying if you wanted to ascend, you have to come this way. First thing, first and foremost, is you have to be strengthened in the inner man. Number two, this is, he prays these in stair steps. Number two, as you are strengthened in the inner man, you must also become consecrated in your heart. Look at verse 17, the petition for consecration. So that, Paul says we need the inner man strengthened by the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul says if, if our inner man is strengthened by the Holy Spirit, the next step will be, we will become consecrated in our heart. What does that mean? We'll be set apart for God. Your heart will be 100% His. Well, I thought I did that already when I came to Christ. Well, yeah, you had to surrender your heart, but what happens is we keep the keys sometimes. Maybe to certain doors in our heart, right? Uh, if you're familiar, you, you may have heard this, but My Heart, Christ's Home by Robert Boyd Munger. He pictures the Christian life as a house, the heart as a house, and he talks about these different rooms. What Paul is praying for specifically here is that in order for Christ to consume the house, the heart, he has to be able to dwell in it. That word literally means to live or dwell in a place in an established or settled manner. Somebody translated it like this, to settle down and be at home, to settle down and be at home. Well, again, I thought I did that when I came to Christ. Oh, you, you gave your heart to Christ, but the question is, does he dwell there? Not are you sealed with the Holy Spirit, not are you redeemed and going to heaven. That's a different question. The question is, is God comfortable in your house? Is he comfortable in your heart? You know, again, the picture of Robert Boyd Munger, my my heart, Christ's home. He talks about different rooms that we have in our hearts. First, he, he, he describes God walking through his heart. And he says, first, I brought him to the library, which is the mind. And Jesus found all kinds of trash and worthless things there, which he proceeds to throw out and replace with his word. The library. Does Christ have the authority to clean out your library? What's in your mind? What are the thoughts in your mind? Are you holding back thoughts? Are you holding on to things? Are, are, is your library, you know, full of things that would embarrass you if Jesus walked through them? He takes us then to the dining room of appetite, which Christ finds many sinful desires there, such as pride, materialism, and lust, and he removes and replaces them with humility, meekness, love, and compassion, and so forth. Then he comes to the living room of fellowship where he finds many worldly companions and activities. Then on to the workshop where he finds only toys that are being made. And finally, Munger describes this closet. It's found on the second story, the staircase on the way up to the second story where Jesus' room is. And he says inside that closet is a strong odor Tell me what's in that closet. Oh, Lord, you don't want to see what's in that closet. And finally, after being humiliated, he says, Lord, I'll take you to the closet. And as they approached the closet, the, strong got, the odor got stronger and stronger and stronger. And Jesus said, I will not dwell here unless I, have, unless I have the authority to clean out that closet. 
So Munger says, I gave Jesus the key to the door. I said, clean it out, Lord. And Lord, the Lord gladly cleansed out that closet. And Munger says, when I came to that place where I realized I had walked Jesus through every area of my heart and I had surrendered to him everything, I, I, I then ran to my closet to give him the title deed of the house and I said, this is no longer my house, it's yours. That you could make this place your home. Listen, the question is, can Jesus make, can he dwell in your heart? Can he make himself at home there? Is there anything you're holding back from the Lord? The Lord really hammered me through this as I was reading it. And in fact, I, I read the little story. I printed out some for you because it was so impactful in my life that you would take them and they're on the way out the door. Read it. Consider it as you're walking through your own heart. Lord, is there a closet that has something in there? Lord, as I take you through these different rooms in my heart, are there things that don't belong? I want you to be 100% in control. That's what surrender is, folks. Where Jesus doesn't have some of you, he has all of you. Jesus enters the house of our hearts by invitation. And then by invitation, he enters every single nook and cranny. You have to invite him in. You have to let him come in. And he wants to. And if you don't, it will hinder your relationship with him. If you want to be fully surrendered to the Lord, and in order to do this, Paul is saying you need the inner man strengthened. You need to have him strengthened first in order to even come to this place of consecration, being set apart from the Lord, understanding that this is not my life. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Take self-sacrifice, but it's worth it. How do we do it? Paul says, by faith, we trust the Lord. We trust in the unseen. We know what the Word of God says about forgiveness. He wants to forgive us. He died to forgive us. If you're holding anything back, it's you, not him. He wants to have 100% control, and he's not going to be embarrassed by anything you show him. So give him the keys to your heart. Step three, not only are we to have the inner man strengthened, and then that produces a consecration in our heart, but then a comprehension of the love of Christ. Look at verse 17b. So that, or that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And then to know the love of Christ which surpasses all understanding. We need the inner man strengthened so that our hearts can be consecrated so that we may comprehend. Comprehend, that word literally means to apprehend or to grasp mentally. What are we supposed to grasp? The love of Christ. You ever tried that? You ever tried to grasp the love of Christ? Does it blow your mind? Don't sit in a dark room with a candle and just think about it. It'll blow your mind up. Don't do that. No, I'm serious. <laughs> but, but Christ, man, he, his love is so wide and so deep and so high and so vast that it's difficult for us to understand. It, it surpasses knowledge. You can't come to some kind of head knowledge about the love of God. It has to be a heart knowledge. It has to be something that is revealed to you through the Holy Spirit. 
Paul is praying that you and I would have comprehension of the love of Christ. It's measurable. There is a breadth to it. There is a length to it. There is a height to it. There is a depth to it. And as you begin to measure that out, what you find yourself measuring is a cross. And that cross speaks of his love for you. And now you can sit and gaze at it and allow God to reveal how much he loves you. Jesus said greater love is, is no one than this. And one that would lay down his life for his friends. That's how much he loves us. That we would have that comprehension of it. As we consider it, as we allow God to reveal it to us, it changes us. It transforms us. Who would do that for you? Who would do that for you? You know, I don't think there's any other relationship in the human relationship that we can compare it to except for a, 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 a parent-child relationship. Because here's the deal. As a parent, you will always love your kid more than they will ever love you. You know that? You will always love your kid more than they will ever love you or could ever love you. Why? Because you have a different mindset than they do. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how they act that will not rob you of your love for them. You have the kind of love that God has for you, you know, you have for your child. And yet you're the child in this situation. And Paul is saying, Lord, would you reveal to us the kind of love that you have for us? Will you help us to comprehend this love? Why? Because it will change your outward actions. It will change your inward heart. It will transform you. Finally, the fourth step in the staircase of petitions by Paul, he says, so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. The, verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul not only prays for our comprehension of the love of Christ, but that through our comprehension, we might be filled with the fullness of God. That word filled there literally means a total quantity with emphasis upon completion, completeness, full number, full measure, fullness, completeness, totality. And you would be complete with all the completeness of God. That you would have the totality of who He is in your hearts that you would understand. You would be filled with Him in totality. MacArthur put it like this. This is so brilliant. He said, this speaks of total dominance. A person filled with rage is totally dominated by hate. A person filled with happiness is totally dominated by joy. To be filled up to all the fullness of God, therefore, means to be totally dominated by Him. With nothing left of self or any part of the old man. So by definition, to be filled... With all the fullness of God means to be emptied of self. It is not to have much of God and little of self, but all of God and none of self. That we would be filled with the fullness of God. Is that your desire today? Where does it start? It starts with the inner man being strengthened. That inner man produces this consecration in your heart where God is 100% Yours, he has the keys to your life. Produces a comprehension of his love. 
to the point in which we can be filled with the fullness of who he is. This is his prayer for you and I. This ought to be our prayer for each other. Is the body. Listen, it is an incredible thing to pray scripture. Pray this prayer. Pray it. Pray it for me. Pray it for each other. Paul moves us to the third point of his prayer here, and he speaks about the plentitude of the Lord in verses 20 and 21. The plentitude of the Lord. Listen to how he describes God. Only a person who has spent a lot of time with God can describe him in in these ways, who has seen God do amazing things in his life. And God wants to do the same in your life. But here's what he says. Now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Only somebody who has seen God move in incredible ways could say something like this, who has consecrated his heart, who has had a comprehension of the love of Christ, who is full of the fullness of God, could understand that God is far more, he's big, that he is bigger than anything that you could ever encounter in your life. That he is able to do anything. It doesn't matter what you encounter. Paul, that's why he found himself being content in prisons. He's writing this in a prison. And he's saying, man, I know a Lord, my Lord is able. The reason I'm here is because he wants me here. It's not because he can't do anything about it. So there is a theological truth there. The idea that wherever we are, maybe God has us for a reason. And it might be a difficult spot. But God is looking to reveal himself. Did you notice that Everything boils down to one thing. What is it? Everything boils down to what? He's able, he is is abundantly able to do more than we ask or think. What's the purpose of that? What did it say? That it would bring him glory, right? It's all about his glory. So perhaps he has you in a situation so that he can reveal his glory, so that he can get some glory. Maybe he has you in a situation because, you know, an impossible situation so that he can reveal how vast and how big he really is. Now, don't get me wrong. I said this last week. Sometimes we're in situations because we put ourselves there. You know, there are consequences of our actions or whatever the case might be. But God is still sovereign. And he knows. And he's at work. And he is not going to relent. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to show you that he's able he wants to show you that you can trust him. He wants to show you that he has resources beyond anything that your human mind could comprehend. That's why when God moves, he moves literally in the King James Version exceedingly abundantly more. Anybody experienced that in your life where, where you, you, you pray for something but it became more, way more? Like My entire life's like that. I think, Lord... You always outdo what I ask for. And, you know, I might not know it in the moment even, but but somehow, some way, I realize that you're working out this situation in my life in a far greater capacity for me than I could ever even even think or hope for. Why? Because he loves you. He's your dad. He's your dad. He, he He will not spoil you. He will not, you know 
not discipline you. He, he's not going to, you know, enable you in a way that is, you know, enabling your sinfulness. He's not going to do that. That's a good dad. That's a good dad that would say, you know what, I love you enough to discipline you. The Bible tells us that he chastens us. Why? Because he loves us. Listen, I don't spank my kids because I like spanking my kids. My kids are too old to be spanked, but um, I don't discipline my kids because I want to discipline them. I discipline them because I love them. And they don't understand that sometimes. But here's the thing, I do, and I know what I'm doing. Well, okay, let's not get carried away here. Um, but, but I can tell you as an earthly dad that when I, when, when I try and work in my kids' lives, I try and do far beyond what they are asking. I, I want to bless their socks off. I love them. I love him, and God loves you that way. And here's what we know about him. He's able. Listen, I don't know what you're going through today, but God does, and he is at work. Paul wants to remind us of his mighty hand, that his arm is not too short, that he can't reach in to save your family members, that you're going, no way, God could never do that. Really? He's able. God can't work in this situation. It's broken. And there's no coming back from it. Oh, <laughs> my Bible says he can. And it might not look like you think it's going to look, but I promise you that he's going to make it better, way better. He takes broken things and he makes them better than they were in the first place. That's it. You know, he, he takes a broken piece, pieces of pottery. He puts them all together and he makes them way more beautiful than they were in the first place. You know that? And even though you might be able to see the cracks and, you know, the rusticness of that vessel, it's beautiful. It's far more beautiful than what it was before it was broken. Listen, God is able, and he is going to work in your life as you just allow him to and trust him to. The whole point of it is this, that he would be glorified. He does it with the same power that's in you, same power that's in Christ, through the Spirit, for the purpose of bringing himself glory. Seems kind of egotistical that God would do that. No. Uh-uh. No, no, because as John Piper always says, we are most satisfied in him, or he is most satisfied in us when we are most satisfied in him. We recognize that, Lord, it's all to your glory. That's when I'm the most satisfied. Lord, to you, you be the glory. But when I try and take his glory, then I want to keep robbing him because it's not enough. If you put the glory where it belongs, then you will receive the contentment that you deserve, that you desire. But it's to his glory that we do all that we do. What an incredible prayer. What an incredible prayer by Paul before he moves into chapter 4 where he then says, now... This is where the rubber meets the road. Start living this out in your life, right? He prays first. There's a principle in that. Whatever you find yourself getting ready to do, that you bow your heart before the Lord and you say, Lord, I need your strength. No matter how equipped I feel for the job, Lord, I need you to strengthen the inner man because I know there's battles ahead. It doesn't matter what he's doing. There are battles that will accompany it. I promise you that. You need the strength in the inner man. 
How do we do that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, strengthen me. Strengthen me through your Spirit. Lord, help me to be consecrated, set apart. No matter what it costs me, I'll go because I am consecrated to you. I'm set apart for you, right? And Lord, even though I might not understand it, you know, I might not comprehend what it is that you're sending me on the path that you send me down. Lord, help me to go anyway. Give me some comprehension of it. Help me to see what it is that you desire that I might be you to people. Be so consumed by you, so full of you, that when I touch people, they feel like they're touched by Jesus. When I serve people, they feel like they've been served by Jesus. That's the point. Pray that before you do anything. Before you start your work week. Before you start your day. Before you go and talk to your kids. Pray this prayer. Lord, strengthen the inner man. You know how they try and get me, Lord. (laughs) Hey, I want to challenge you this week to make intercession as Paul was for these people in Ephesus, for your people here. That you would make intercession. That God would give you somebody's face in your mind and you would just begin to pray this prayer for them all through this week that you would just pray over them, that God would give them this, this fullness that he talks about, that he would give them this inner strength within so that they could be totally owned by him so they could comprehend his love and then go make it known to people out in the world. Pray. I want to challenge you to do that. You just ask the Lord, who, do, who is it, Lord, that you're going to have me praying for this week? And God will give you a face, I promise you. Or maybe he'll give you multiple faces. Pray the prayer. Listen, there's not a single person in this room, I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus, that doesn't need this prayer. Not a single person in this room that is not broken in some way that needs some mending by Jesus. There's not a single person in this room that doesn't need to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit and you can encourage them by praying for them. Listen, we are a small body, part of a larger body, but let's just begin to pray that the Lord would move in our body. That we begin to stir our hearts to be Christ to people. That when we leave this place, we didn't leave what we learned in the doorway here and we, we go out. No, we want to apply it. So let's apply it. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And just what an incredible, incredible set of verses, Lord. As we consider the Apostle Paul praying for the church in Ephesus. And yet how this prayer, Lord, transcends nearly 2,000 years speaks directly to us today. It's the kind of God you are. That you can use your word over and over and over, no matter how familiar we are with it, to transform our lives. Lord, I am so grateful for this passage this week that I know, that I know, that I know that I can be strengthened in the inner man, that there is not a single thing in my life that I can't overcome because I have the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone here this morning, Lord, that is struggling with whatever it is, some sin, some darkness in their life, maybe depression, uh, whatever it might be. Lord, I want to pray right now that you strengthen their inner man that you give them power from the Holy Spirit to surrender this thing to you, Lord. That you help them to see that they are loved beyond 
(laughs) even in the midst of their sin, they are loved by you. Lord, that your blood is enough, that you are able, no matter how long we've been struggling with this thing, Lord, we're, we're asking you, we're surrendering it to you now. That you would strengthen the inner man. Maybe it's boldness in our life, God. We are so sheepish, literally, when it comes to sharing our faith. We get all nervous and our palms of our hands begin to sweat. We don't know what to say, Lord. Would you move us beyond that? Strengthen our inner man today. That we would be emboldened by your spirit to speak, Lord, and the truth and love, obviously. But that we, we would move beyond our fear, Lord. We're just asking, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to help us apply what we just heard, this prayer. We know we have everything. That's the whole point of the book. We have the riches of Christ. We have the power of Christ. We have the victory of Christ. We have the the surrender of Christ. We have all of those things already given to us. We just need to receive them and walk in them. So today, no matter who we are today, Lord, we reach out to you and we ask you, strengthen our inner man. We thank you in advance for that. Lord, we ask you to just move in the sanctuary as we close now and that your spirit would stir us and that this moment would not just be another closing of another sermon that we've heard, Lord, but it would be a life-transforming moment that would put us on a total different trajectory. Lord, your will be done in our life. We surrender to you now. We thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.